Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 45. I'm Kip Clark, and today again, Caroline's in a bit of a busy streak, so I have another guest on with me today, Elliot Cromer. How's it going? It's going really good, Kip. Very pleased to be on the show with you. And I know you want to talk about pets today and our relationships with pets, and my first question to you is why you wanted to bring this up today. I've got two answers for that, Kip. One is that I was watching an episode of my favorite show, Adventure Time, in which the main character is a human and his best friend is a dog, who is also his best friend, but also kind of, you know, is is his dog. And, you know, I guess the dog has him as his human. But in one of the episodes, the human says, isn't it kind of messed up that we have pets? I mean, they, uh... They, like, kind of worship us. They depend on us for food. They revere us. It's like we're making tiny little people who think of us as their gods. And the dog was like, nah, man, nah, nah, it's cool. And he's like, you don't think about that at all? And he's like, nah, it's cool, man. And that just got me thinking about it Mm -hmm. because it's interesting that a human and dog are having this conversation. The other reason is because I think, and this is my subconscious speaking, I think it's just because uh, I had a long time childhood dog pass away about a month and a half ago. And while I don't think I was thinking about that when I brought it up, I think that probably was somewhere in my mind now that I'm thinking about it. That's very interesting. In fact, I also lost a pet about a month and a half ago, our dog, Abby was a Wheaton Terrier, mm-hmm. had to be put down because of medical complications. And so I've been processing that, but also very differently than I think most people would process it. So I would also ask, if it's not too personal, how you've been handling the death of the pet, how old the pet was, other details surrounding sure. that. Okay, let me tell you a bit about Scotch was a stray dog. We got her, we guess around when she was two, somebody had clearly abandoned her in our neighborhood. My mom saw like a dog looking scared. That wasn't any of our neighbor's dogs. So she coaxed it and then like grabbed it by the neck and then brought it home, bathed it. And then she just started, you know, running around. Great mutt. She looked kind of like a fox, middle-sized dog. And she was about 18 when she passed uh, a month and a half ago due to just being really old. I've been handling the passing of my childhood dog very well because the past two years, I've been like, she could go at any moment. Every time I leave for college, I like gave her a big hug. Mm-hmm. It was like, I love you, Scotch. And I've been taken for lots of walks the past two years because I've been ready for her to die for two years. So when she passed, it wasn't a big surprise. I've been doing well, been doing really well. Mm-hmm. I also wasn't home. That would have been much harder. Right, which I think is partially related to my relative, I think, lack of devastation. I've been at college and away for two years now or two and a half. And so I think my relationship with our dog, Abby, is very different because perhaps similar to Scott, she's been in kind of a permanent state of disrepair, hasn't been walking as much, limps a lot. She was going blind towards the end of her life. She seemed to be in a lot of pain from arthritis and other things. So... I, too, was aware of her mortality, and I reflect back on 13 really happy years with a wonderful dog who was very, very gentle. She was not a mutt. She was a purebred, but Hmm. she was the runt of her litter, so she was particularly small. She was about 30 pounds, and she was one of the most gentle dogs I've ever known, but we've also only ever owned one dog until this past summer when we got our new Wheaton Terrier puppy named Soren, who I really like. He's very energetic, and I enjoy his company quite a bit. So when you grew up with Scotch, do you think her presence in your life affected the way you grew up? Was she there for certain pivotal moments in your life? And did she change the outcome in any way? I know it's kind of a broad question. Absolutely. I couldn't imagine my childhood without Scotch. She, I think, especially kids growing up, benefits so much from having a 
really active, furry, non-humanoid creature running around and drinking water off the floor or out of the toilet <laughs> or seeing it eat its own vomit uh, is incredibly informative and just blows up their creativity. And they're so happy. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the best things about pets, or at least dogs in particular. I know you and I scanned a few articles about pets in general, and I feel like a lot of the animals I read about, some of which seem very lethargic and don't want to engage very much with people based on what I know. So I find it interesting that certain people own pets that seem isolated, don't want to be really bothered. And I think dogs are very interesting as pets, and I think, frankly, have become the all-American pet in their unconditional love, their very frequent high energy state, their willingness to engage. I mean, I've talked about dogs on the show before. They're very interesting creatures. Do you think you would have ever had a different pet or even in the future, would you consider owning a pet that is not a dog? Absolutely. I also grew up with two cats and then we got a third cat and all those cats have died and now we have another two cats. And Scotch lived through three of those cats, so I just want to say that something was different about the dog from the cat. I don't know why the dog lived longer, but that's mm -hmm. just interesting. Yeah. But no, to your point that the dog is the all-American animal, I'd agree, but just as powerful is the cat. Sure. It's incredibly pervasive in today's pop culture. That's absolutely true. I don't know if it's because it is the opposite of the dog. That's a good question. I can't deny that cats have become fodder for entertainment, especially on the typical YouTube video. There's cats doing all kinds of things, and those become viral sensations very quickly. But I do think there's a line in the sand drawn between cat people and dog people. And certainly there are people who enjoy both. A friend of mine owns a cat and a dog, and so I think it's quite possible to get along with both. But I know people that are very decidedly one or the other, and I think that's interesting. In my mind, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Cats seem incredibly intelligent, perhaps more so than dogs, and very self-sufficient. But I think their desire to play and socialize, I guess I would say, with people seems to be much lower than that of a typical dog. What do you think? If someone were to ask me if I was going to get a dog or a cat first in my own life, right now I would definitely say I would get a cat first because... I don't have a family to play with that dog when I'm away at home. And mm -hmm. cats are very independent. I would have no qualms leaving a cat home while I work for eight hours. Right. Coming home, that cat and I are good friends. I mean, the cat's probably going to buddy up to the one other person in its life. I'm going to give that cat all the attention. But if I left a dog at a home by itself every day, I would feel like I was doing something very cruel to that dog. To me, that gets at the psychological connection between people and dogs. I believe one of the reasons that dogs are so important to people is not only the unconditional love, but the dependence, which I think makes people, their owners, feel especially capable and influential in the life of this lovely creature because we know how much dogs need us. And I think that makes us feel not only needed, but helpful in some way for the life of another. I think it's similar to the joy of parenthood. Obviously, it's different because it's not a humanoid creature, as he said earlier, but it is a life that depends on you. And I think that's a beautiful thing on some levels. You make a very good point in Citing Adventure Time, a show that I believe I've watched a few times that, quote, gets at some of the ideas behind pet ownership. And I'd ask you, I remember a biology test that I took once that asked if pets were more parasitic and sort of latched onto their hosts and drained us from all of our resources or more symbiotic, that they live in our houses, but they also provide 
companionship and other positive values? Do you think that relationship is more weighted to the negative or the positive? We wouldn't have pets if they were parasitic. I wouldn't come home to have an animal suck blood out of my skin. You know, that's... (laughs) taking the metaphor to the most extreme, but of course animals are positive forces in our lives. Mm, Okay, I just said that. Let me think for a second. The two cats I have right now, one of them's fine. The other one I hate. (laughs) I hate that cat. She hisses if I try to touch her. She's fat. Nothing wrong with that, but she like doesn't really move much is part of that. And she's young. I'm hoping she grows out of it. But right now, that cat I am tolerating. But a good animal, a pet... Is not parasitic. Is not parasitic. I agree with you on that point. The fact that you mentioned that this cat is young is very interesting because one really cool thing about having a pet is that you get to see them grow up. Obviously, the lifespans of most pets are somewhat abridged in comparison with human life, but it's very cool to see a young puppy grow up and sort of learn how to use the stairs and... Mature. Exactly. And sort of come into their own and discover the world that we as people have been living in for five, six, however many years before Mm. we first get our first pet. Mm. And I really liked what we read in some of those articles that talked about the benefits of owning a pet, the idea that pets can help boost immune systems or allergy resistance in young children because you're still sort of developing your own system in conjunction with an animal that has entered your house, but also the social aspects of owning a pet and the idea that pets can help break the ice and make it easier to talk to other pet owners. And of course, you can make friends over people who maybe own the same breed of dog or walk in similar neighborhoods. I would argue, though, and I don't think any of the articles took it to this point, someone who owns a pet is seen as very non-threatening. If you see someone walking a dog as opposed to just walking, they're a pet owner. You can see that they are with an animal. I think that gives them an immediate frame of being a somewhat more approachable person. What do you think about that? Obviously, it's just a theory of mine. I definitely can see that. The article is mentioned, you know, it's a good way to meet other people. You're at ease with your pooch at the park automatically, and, you know, you see other people, and you can meet people that way. There is one lady in my friend Adam Zaremski's neighborhood we grew up with, and she's, like, middle-aged, reaching elderly, very, very heavy woman, and she has about seven to ten tiny Jack Russell Terriers surrounding her in a small circle, a barking (laughs) horde of, like, madness, Uh and they are barking at everything constantly. And she walks these dogs at least twice a day. One time I went out at 11.30 at night, and the tornado of trouble was out and about with its mother in the center. Mm -hmm. I would not be inclined to approach this woman. That absolutely makes sense. And this is bringing up an interesting point. Like, pets as therapy, sometimes I wonder about, because it's a small town. I know she's the aunt of somebody I went to high school with, and I'm like, wondering, what is her life? Why did she choose to buy all these small Jack Russell Terriers? What benefit is this giving this lady? It's a very good question. A lot of the articles talked again about the elderly or the sick, anyone in states of mental illness who might need emotional support and arguing that pets are great for that, that a lot of them can sense certain emotional distress in people. Dogs, especially with their canine sense of smell, can apparently detect certain things that we as people cannot and are therefore wonderful therapists in their own way because of the support they're willing to show. Obviously, I think that's possible with other pets, but I see you right now 
making a puzzled expression. What are you thinking? I was just thinking about this lady some more. And the relationship between the dogs that I see is the dogs are constantly barking and she is constantly yelling at the dogs when they bark. And this is like getting into how pets are affected by their owners, maybe how owners are affected by their pets, but she's constantly yelling like, no, Bosco, no. Jackie, no! It's probably not named Jackie, but it's really weird. It's a really strange sight to see, man. Mm -hmm. I believe you. Do you think there are pet owners who should maybe wait before getting pets or people who bite off more than they can chew and get too many pets when maybe they really need to handle one or two and not get, let's say, 12 Jack Russell Terriers? Yeah, I do think people do that. And what do you think about pets like goldfish or other creatures that maybe aren't as interactive? I mentioned certain isolated creatures in the world, and obviously people continue to buy pets that maybe aren't very interactive. What do you think is the benefit for the pet owner there? Fish are very pretty to look at. Like the cat to another level, a fish in a pretty bowl, appropriate for its size, of course, can be a living thing that you can emote with and talk to and feel with and feed without having to really devote an hour or two to exercise with it or anything. There are benefits to a fish. And they are, uh, they're almost like a sprucer upper. You have a fish in an apartment. Kind of makes it look a little classier if it's a well-kept fish. I agree. I think that's a really interesting point. I remember in my younger years, I think around kindergarten or first grade, we had class fish that either we kept for a weekend and we took the fish tank home with us, or we purchased and received at the end of the school year. I'm not remembering which of the two it was, but I had a few fish. They were guppies, I remember. I forget what I named them. Actually, I think I named one of them Ragweed after a character in a novel that we had read as children. And I remember feeding those fish. I think it taught me something about responsibility, but I do believe at a certain point I overfed them and put too many flakes in the bowl. And either they got fat or ate themselves to death. Did Scotch or any of your other pets teach you about responsibility at a young age? And that is a beautiful way to die. If there is a way to choose to die, I would go that way. <laughs> to overeat, yeah. yeah. Uh, don't feel bad about that one. For kids, I think if I had kids, unless like the dog is specifically theirs, I think they can learn some responsibility, but I don't want my kid having to clean up after the dog while it's being potty trained or anything like that. I am so sensitive to how much of a responsibility it is to have a pet that I don't know if a lot of kids could handle it. I didn't have to handle it. Maybe I'm just talking about me. You learn responsibility in either seeing your parents or feeding, taking turns feeding the dog was always something that we did in my family. I am on the same page. My mom has typically taken the most care of the two dogs and now, of course, our remaining dog, Soren, and I think she puts a lot of work into making sure those dogs are healthy and well-kept. She walks them a mile a day. She's very, mm -hmm. very enthusiastic about her pet ownership, and I think she's a wonderful pet owner. I would then ask you, we happen to go to a college where you are not allowed to have a pet except for a fish in your dorm, and of course, there are some people that break that rule. I think it's very few and far between. What do you think of that idea? Do you think college students do have the time to devote to pet ownership? Do you think pets would be good sources of stress relief for college students? Where do you stand? I think the college has it right in having fish. That's about the amount of tension. If you're doing college right, you should be not spending enough time in your dorm room taking care of pets because this is a time where you need to be learning about yourself. And the fish can be in the corner and you can feed that fish. Even when you go home for break, 
you're not sure who can look after the fish if you go on an airplane. So I don't think students should have pets. I have seen in my four years coming to this campus, closet kittens, a hedgehog, and a fish that was left in a dorm room while both residents had left and I was closing up as a CA for two weeks. So, you know, that fish was going to be in there for two weeks by itself. Maybe they'd had somebody arranged to come and take care of the fish, but me and my other CA went in the room and were like, what do we do about this fish? Yeah, it's unfortunate. These animals, like we've said earlier, are dependent upon us. And I think it is disrespectful to the animal if you just get them for the sake of their affection or their presence without actually recognizing that they need support. They are not capable of finding food for themselves in the same way that we are because of the world that we live in. So I think there is a lot of responsibility that comes with pet ownership that is difficult. And I know a lot of people that graduate college pretty quickly go to cities or other crowded areas where, again, pet ownership is tricky because there's not always a ton of space for animals that need space. There are certain rules in apartment buildings, I'm sure, where you're not allowed to have pets. I frankly am glad that we as people have pets. I think what you talked about earlier, a lot of respect needs to be given. Another article that I was perusing talked about exotic pets. What do you think about more exotic animals that maybe come from different parts of the world or are not typically pet animals? The reason these animals are called exotic is because they haven't been domesticated and seen in human households for a hundred years or 2,000 years as like dogs and cats have been with humans for a long time. Mm -hmm. So a long time ago, dogs and cats were exotic animals too, but we formed bonds with them as humans and then domesticated them into these creatures that are very docile. If we can have exotic animals today, that just means they're the dogs and cats of tomorrow if we keep on forming positive bonds and forming good relationships with these animals. Mm -hmm. If the animal's being well-kept, is happy, the human is happy, seems like a sweet deal to me. I do think a lot of caution has to be taken with certain larger animals or maybe more dangerous and aggressive animals because if they get out, God only knows what's going to happen. There was a very tragic story a few years ago of a woman who owned, I believe, an orangutan or a chimp, one of the members of the primate family that attacked a friend of hers when she was visiting and really brutally attacked her face and damaged this woman's body and she had to have surgery because of the outcome. So I think exotic pets especially need to be treated with caution. I hear what you're saying on the domestication aspect and that the exotic animals of today can definitely be the dogs and cats of tomorrow, but only if the right steps are taken. Are there any last details you'd like to discuss regarding pets? Did they put that tang down? You know, I'm not sure about that. I do believe most likely the orangutan or the chimp, whatever it was, was put down. I think we have very low tolerance, which is interesting. You brought up tolerance earlier with the cat. I think we do as humans have very low tolerance for misbehavior in pets, that if they act out or become aggressive or violent in any way, we don't tend to train that out of them. I think most people send their animals away if they become aggressive. And I think it's rather unfortunate that we don't attempt to correct that behavior more. We just sort of say that that's that and we don't give them any chances because, of course, they are still animals. I think that has to be recognized. But unfortunately, I suspect the pet in this case was put down. That's unfortunate. But if a monkey tries to pull someone's face off. Yeah, you got to do something about it. I hear what you're saying. It's a tough call. Yeah. Because, I mean, it did not kill the woman, so it's mm -hmm. a bit unfair. 
Well, I agree. And it's a very grim situation in the first place. One lesson of that is if you're going to have an exotic pet, be aware that there's a very high risk. And was this woman like poking the monkey? I think that's a very good question to ask. Obviously, animals don't often act if unprovoked. They have thought processes, however limited and brief, but they respond, I think, instinctively to things. And I'm sure this animal felt threatened in some capacity or that it had to act that way for some reason in order to attack this woman. So I think that side should definitely be considered a proper animal treatment away from the realm of animal cruelty is also a very important factor in pet ownership. I think so too. So, Elliot, thank you very much for coming on today. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. It's been a pleasure. And, of course, any of you out there who are listening, we would love to hear from you. We want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Have you had any pets in your life that have left a significant impact on you, or are there pets that you would like to get in the future when you have the space and time available to take care of them? We want to know what you think. Of course, you can reach us on Twitter at stridensaunter. You can email us, strideandsaunter at gmail.com. Our Facebook is Stride and Saunter, and we encourage you to visit our website, strideandsaunter.com. And as always, we thank you for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.